Welcome to Double Fries No Slaw. It is Sunday evening. We're two weeks away from kickoff, and we've got a whole bunch of people on this screen this evening. Um, one less, so that just got going. But um, we'll go around the horn in just a second. Everybody introduce themselves, but thank you guys for hanging out. Myself, TJ Pinger, Richie Barnes, and a whole bunch of guys in the FSUB, the national guy. We've, we've got a little bit of everything going here today. Um so guys, let's just get let's get into it. Everybody knows Richie and I are they're tuned in for the first time and just getting to meet us. But let's go around the horn. Everybody, take a quick second, introduce yourself. We'll just go in the order that's on the screen. So Kurt, Ryan, Ingram, David, then say the we save Brendan for last. Best for last. <laughs> Kurt Weiler with the uh, Tallahassee Democrat. Hey everybody, this is uh, Ryan Kelly over at WCTV here in Tallahassee. Uh, Ingram Smith uh, of the Nolcast. David Hale with uh, ESPN and and uh, lifelong Brendan Sinone aficionado. <laughs> uh, if you guys only knew, uh, Brendan Sinone, Knowles 24-7, host of the wildly popular On the Bench podcast, also bourbon on a budget with the man in the top left screen right now. It's TJ. Hello. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, we, we did a couple of these with the Big Three roll-up at times, and so these are – Somewhat fun for a bunch of different outlets to kind of come together and talk a little bit of FSU before the season gets going. So I appreciate you guys working with us and jumping on tonight. Um, I've asked David this. I've asked Brendan this. Um, Kurt, Ryan, Ingram, you guys have not been on. So thank you for your first time joining us. Um, Double Fries No Slaw, obviously, brought to you by Guthrie's. Um, was that more of a, for the three that are new, Kurt, Ryan, and Ingram, was that more of a college thing for you guys, or do you still put a, a, away a fair share of gut boxes these days, or what's the uh, what's the status on the double fries no slaw for you guys? I did when I lived over by campus. I haven't lived over by campus in a few years, but post-college I, I, I did, and it was, I mean, I'm just not near one now. I'm, I'm probably 10, 15 minutes away from the closest one, and I don't think of it often. I feel like when you graduate from Florida State University, if you went there in college, you transition from the West Tennessee Guthrie's to the North Monroe Guthrie's. Maybe it's just something you get when you're when you're on the side of town going to a movie. I will say this, and I hate to admit this, this might be sacrilege. I am a bit of a slaw guy, so I am upsetting mm. the apple cart here on double fries, no slaw. But uh, listen, gut sauce, nice gut box, sweet tea, you can't go wrong. You got the order right. The, the name is uh, is appropriate, and that's, uh, that's my contribution there. I, I don't mind coleslaw in general. I'm just not hitting it at, at like a fast food chicken tender place. Like some coleslaw on a barbecue sandwich in David's neck of the woods, like absolutely. I'm, I'm all about it. Coleslaw from – even though they're a title sponsor, like I'm sorry, Guthrie's. Like I'm not eating your coleslaw. <laughs> I was interested in the road that you were walking down there. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, they're good, but uh, besides, I don't know. <laughs> but I feel like most people are having Guthrie's like after midnight. Not most, but it's a pretty high percentage of people who are enjoying Guthrie's are doing so uh, after two a.m. And I feel like coleslaw what? at what? There's what's there's the, not a what is the coleslaw. Yeah. What's the appropriate time or the last appropriate time in the day in which you should have a mayo-based food item? Like I think I feel like anything after like six p.m. Like you really should just there should be no mayo involved in it whatsoever. <laughs> How much alcohol are you sopping up with coleslaw, right? Like if you're going through the line at 2 a.m., I'm afraid it was exactly. Fun um, story. I once went to uh, a Guthrie's with a group of friends, and one girl 
for some reason she was not able to walk correctly and walked right into the door. And I don't know if she broke her nose, but it was definitely bleeding from here <laughs> and here. <laughs> it was at like 3 a.m. Oh, oh. Um, okay, let's do this. We talk a lot of food on here, and then we'll get into some football stuff. But we'll go in the kind of the same order, Kurt, Ryan, Ingram, David, and then Brendan. Uh, David, yours might be a little bit different um, because you're not in Tallahassee, so you can give a Charlotte one. But uh, what's your what's your hidden gem food spot in Tallahassee? Um, like where where are you kind of recommending people go? Because everybody knows about like Guthrie's and Madso and stuff like that. But like, where are you telling people to go? Is like I, I guess you can define what what is under the radar. Is birds under the radar? Mm. Birds for yes. for burger fries. There, I think that's a good spot. I really like Bumpas. That's not too far from me. Gordo's is the is a classic. Those are those are a couple of mine. Um, I would say up north for the older folks up in Killarn, uh, Brickyard Pizzeria. Very very good. Like the Italian food, the pizza itself is really really good. I miss uh, I miss uh, Mike Stonebaked back in the day on Blair Stone, right in the shadow of Doak. Back when I used to intern for nine seven nine, we used to get trade with them. And whatever Tom and Jeff didn't use, the interns got. So uh, I guess you could say the Tallahassee pizza scene contributed to the man I am today. Uh, <laughs> uh, Madison Social and Township are just two gems that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Can't really think of anything else on the landscape. Uh, but yeah. So. I, I am a huge Birds fan from my time in uh tallahassee the onion rings i would still say the best onion rings i've ever had um though so, uh and if i'm gonna get a little slightly classier cool beans is you know that's a that's not a bad spot to go it's, i feel like that's my uh, among espn folks when they are sent to tallahassee on a on some sort of visit that's that's where they end up i'm pretty sure that's the only place andrew adelson has ever eaten in tallahassee yeah. <laughs> that's also <laughs> entirely possible <laughs> um I really like Red Shed as like a low key hangout on the Good east call. side of town. Yeah, yeah, especially like if you're coming in from town and you get off of, of Mayhem by I-10, it's right there. Uh, if you want to travel a little bit outside of town, uh, Thomasville, go 45 minutes north. Jonah's is some of the best uh, seafood that you'll find like anywhere. Go figure. Great seafood in South Georgia. It is delicious, though. Well, Thomas, yeah, Thomasville is a. a- plethora of options when it comes mm-hmm. to good food and uh some of the cheese and stuff that's made down there is uh one of the best nights that i've ever had uh, it's not a story for this podcast but uh <laughs> it, it, did, it invo- did it involve somebody walking into a door and breaking their nose it did not it involved me meeting up with someone from the internet that did not look the way that they thought i thought they did so i told them to go on their way uh, with all due respect and i uh imbibed heavily and wandered around thomasville and had one of the best nights of my life uh so you know just how it works sometimes. Jonas isn't just shrimp. It's catfish too, people. It's a lot of things. It's delicious. And also no booze. Disclaimer. Yeah, just um, go next door. So you guys were all mentioning um, birds. Brendan even put in the comments that uh, Kurt was going to be mad that uh, – or I'm sorry, Dave was going to be mad that Kurt stole his. <laughs> um, I got this picture of the last time that I was in birds. <laughs> Getting ready to throw down, like just the the face there. He had well, onion rings. we had onion rings before this, didn't you? Did we? Yeah, I shared someone's onion rings. Yeah, I didn't know what the double burger. It had been a little while since I got a bird, so the idea of the double burger there was uh, it was more daunting than I thought it was going to be. I got pretty close to finishing it though. I'm proud did, of myself. Did. Good effort. 
All right, so let's get into some football talk now that we've uh, wasted eight minutes of everyone's life talking about food and Brendan. Um, first question is actually for Brendan. I think uh, probably the most pressing questions for FSU fans, especially those on social media. Um, Brendan, why do you hate our team so much to, to continue to post clips um, that, that allow rivals to, to troll FSU? Can you speak to that before we get into anything else? Uh, so first a question, and and then I'll give you my, my full thoughts. But what what do you guys think my job is, like in terms of, of putting out content? Do you think I'm supposed to not put out video of what we're seeing or what's out there or just only good clips? or Just the good guess, clips. Just is, the good is, clips. Is, All right. Well, so here's what I'll say, and I'm going to try to, to toe a delicate line here. We only get to see the first 15 to 20 minutes of practice with through the lens of a video camera or, or, or any kind of camera, I guess. Uh, you can only record the first 15, 20 minutes of practice. Those are warm-up periods. There's not a ton going on. They run a frantic tempo drill early on and figure that's like you're still not technically even really warmed up yet. You haven't really gotten into the flow of practice. So it's a little sloppier in the beginning than it is at the end. But I only get like a few minutes to put out videos. So there's expectation that there has to be some sort of content in that period that we want to put out there for our, our viewers and readers at Knowles 24-7. Um, so it kind of is what it is been saying all off season like this is probably a, a five or six win team and i think some of the fan base didn't quite digest like what maybe that means in terms of a, a talent level or still kind of figuring things out in terms of, of just being advanced as a as a program so it's kind of mike norvell talks about the climb I, i'm documenting the climb for you guys I don't know. sorry sorry i hate fsu yeah. <laughs> I'll do this. i'm very impressed that uh, my my new colleague Andre Fernandez started a couple months ago. He's had his whole professional career in Miami. He like covered the Marlins, covered the Heat. All that's basically a large part of his Twitter following. And Brendan still gets more Miami fans mentioned than Andre, who is so Miami people. It's impressive. <laughs> um, Brendan is absolutely. That's probably the only way that Brendan gets described as as impressive. But uh, we'll we'll do this, and then we'll. I, I want to do this backwards. I feel like nobody really listens to podcasts for like the entire length or, you know, I th saw that said podcast get listened to for like 27 minutes and then turned off on, on average. So I'm not going to make people wait until the very end for this. Like let's go around the horn and do season like record predictions and then talk about why we, you know, everybody else like leads up to that at the very end and talks about the team first. I want to do it in reverse order. Tell me how you think the team does overall. That's all that every fan cares about anyway, is what do you think the record is going to be? And then for those diehards that want to stay tuned in for the rest of the episode, we'll talk about different position groups and why we think that that is what it is. I'll start with Hale on this, and then we can kind of go around the corner, around the corner, around the horn. Um, we can go to the corner too. Hale, as the national guy, you did a lot of rankings for FSU's different uh, position groups. I'm sure they hated you for every single one of them. Boo! But, um, but, uh, I hate your team. Friendly. <laughs> um, running backs was good too. Running back at, at coming at four. Um so talk to us about FSU's record this year, how you kind of see them doing overall. Uh, you know, the first half of the schedule, I think, is what will define them. I mean, the back half is brutal. Uh, if they, They're probably not going to beat Notre Dame or Carolina, but the other, like, five of the first seven are winnable. I don't think they win all of them, but I, I, I think this could be – uh, I'm going to say five and seven, and I I want to be a slightly more optimistic and say six and six, and they get to a bowl. But um, I want to try and steal some of Brendan's thunder by being really hateful. So I'm going to go with five and seven. <laughs> uh, Ryan Kelly, WCTV. What do you think, man? 
I, I look more at six and six. I, I'm with David there that there's about six really winnable games, especially early on. I mean, the the run of Jacksonville State, Wake, Louisville, Syracuse is going to be really, really important for this team. Uh, if they win four out of those five and then maybe surprise one of the other teams, yeah, I think I think six and six reasonable. And, you know, God forbid they run the table on those six more winnable games with I'd say maybe Boston College being in that sixth. And beat another, and yeah, maybe you've got a six-seven win team. But six and six is probably logical. If you go a win less or a win more, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked. Uh, Ingram, I don't know if you've given an official one on the Nolcaster. If it's too early for this, but uh, none of none of our listeners listen to you guys, and none of yours listen to us, so it's all good. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> There's no Venn diagram there at all. Um, <laughs> It, look, I think it's a strange year. I mean, we all, uh, as college football fans, live and breathe for uh, the, the games on Saturday. And if you're a Florida State fan this year, the games on Saturday, in my opinion, really don't matter that much. I mean, it's about keeping a quarterback from IMG. It's about keeping a DB from Florida. It's about keeping a kid that I saw play a Mercedes-Benz last night committed. And that's a strange sensation. I've never been in that place before where – the year is the year and you kind of got to bridge the gap before you have what is a pretty clearly a transitional recruiting class. So um, ultimately I think they get to six wins. I think they get to six wins with a uh, backdoor bowl invite. So I, I think they win five regular season games. Maybe they win six and I'm wrong. Uh, but I, you know, it's, there's still a lot of progress to be made and I see the general fan base make some assumptions on winning games against teams that, quite honestly, humiliated you last year. So uh, it's hard to make a whole lot of extrapolations off of a COVID year and a, and what I think is a honestly a year zero, or last year was a year zero. So uh, we, we still have a lot to learn from this team, but I think there's some uh, some pretty clear flaws that Sinone goes out of his way to try to highlight via video, and uh, <laughs> it, will, it will come to the surface. It doesn't mean that they didn't make a good hire in Mike Norvell. It doesn't mean that the program's not – on a pretty positive trajectory, but uh, I don't know that that trajectory shows itself on Saturdays this fall. Yeah. Kurt Weiler, Kurt Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat TDO online. The, the tough thing that I don't think Florida state fans have entirely realized yet is looking at last year compared to this year's team. I think it's entirely possible. This team is a lot better and the schedule is just so tough that it, that ceiling is probably five wins. And I, I think I'm with a lot of the guys here. In, in landing on five. I mean, when you've got the, the top two teams in the coastal on your schedule, when you've got Notre Dame, obviously you always have Florida. I do think this team is going to look a lot better. I think, I mean, I think you feel better about the, the quarterback play coming into the room the year. I think they did really well through the portal. The defensive line is going to make a big game. We'll get into all that, I'm sure. I just, it, it, yeah, I mean, the big thing, like Ingram hinted at, is, is keeping those guys on board and convincing them that looking better enough on the field that, Five or six wins looks like the dramatic improvement that it probably will be. But I do think the important thing for these guys and this team, I mean, you look at, they haven't won a season opener since 2016. They've, they've lost four in a row. I think if they could even stay close in that first one and go win at Wake Forest, it will be interesting to see what this could do for this team's confidence because they haven't had that early season confidence in a while. Uh, Sonone, we'll finish up with you. I am with Kurt totally that that opener could be a really big swing game for this program, like, like winning that could not just mean one win against Notre Dame, but you do have to entirely change the the way you think of, of FSU this season and you build confidence and you see where the talent level is maybe higher than we're expecting. Uh, so it's probably good for like two or three wins, honestly, if you if you beat Notre Dame. That being said, I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame. I don't, I'm not quite there yet. I'm going to be boring like everyone else here and say five wins. I, I will share this quote real quick, though, because I think it's appropriate for for how we should judge this, this team this year. This is from Terry Bowden talking about his, his dad, Bobby. 
one of his favorite sayings is a program is built in four stages. First, you lose big, then you lose close, then you win close, and finally you win big. So last year was certainly a year of, of losing big. If you can kind of bridge that to losing close uh, and with the schedule they have, I, I think that's a step in the right direction for what Mike Norvell is, is building. And that's kind of how I'm judging and, and viewing this team this season. Um, Richie, we'll go through schedule predictions next week, so I won't ask you, but I'll, I'll follow up with David and then I'll let you kind of take off and take over for a little bit. Um, David, how would you, your teams in, um, the Atlantic, it, you know, Florida State fans truly view that Wake Forest game as a, as one of the bigger games on the schedule, right? Them uh -huh. being potentially one of the better teams in the Atlantic. Um, how do you, I don't, you know, I don't know. I know it's hard to predict a week three game this early, but you know, is that a how winnable of a game is that for Florida State? And if Florida State does win that, can I mean how good of a shot do they have to beat anybody else in the Atlantic outside of you know Clemson? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. So you know, first to follow up on that Notre Dame thing, I I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame either. But that's an interesting opener because they get them at home. You're getting Notre Dame breaking in a new quarterback. There's going to be a ton of energy in, at, at the you know in the stadium, and I almost wonder like. It'd be great if they win. That's that's huge for for Florida State. It feels like this big win. But then, if you go out and lose to Wake Forest, like what does that what does that mean? It's almost like like they were good enough to beat North Carolina last year, but also just get housed in a bunch of other games. Like you know, I, there's there's a little bit of like, be careful what you wish for against Notre Dame because if it's sort of right now, I think everybody's head is in a good space about where expectations should be, and then if you go out and beat Notre Dame in Week One. Does everybody immediately be like, well, no, now we're an eight or nine win team. We got to be back to to being really good. And then you aren't there yet. I, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting possibility to me. Wake, Boston College, and Louisville are sort of the three swing games because they're all three winnable, I think. But none of those three are as, as easily winnable as maybe some Florida State fans think. And Wake is one of those teams that – they're veteran, man. Like they've got almost everybody back from last year. They've got a veteran O line. They've got a really good quarterback who doesn't make mistakes. They've got a good running back. They're pretty good at receiver. I think the defense is going to be much improved this year. Like Wake isn't uh, going to like super out talent anybody, but they're a more talented team than they've probably ever been. Um, and I, it's not like the talent gap used to be. Even like a bad Florida State team was markedly more talented than wake but also would kind of play down to wake's level at times this isn't a markedly more talented florida state team there's a probably a case to be made that that wake has every bit or at least a better distribu distribution of talent than wake has so yeah i mean i i in no way view this as uh, a gimme for florida state and i think you know exactly that 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 the atlantic is not but there's really, aside from maybe Syracuse, there's not an easy out in the Atlantic either. So in the games that Florida State is at least in the mix talent-wise with, they've got to win those games. And, and to me, that's Boston College, Wake Forest, and, and Louisville. You've got to win those games if you want the season to be you know, salvageable, I guess. So like TJ, so like mentioned, TJ mentioned, obviously, you know, Brendan's you know, clips Brendan's that he's posted that he's on Twitter every day are, are the are most the talked about thing among the FSU fan base right now. But the next most uh, popular topic is the quarterback battle. Uh, so I'd like to a little local and national here. So, Kurt, just what are you seeing in, on the ground and hearing about the quarterback battle? And then, David, what are you hearing, you know, kind of from a national level as well? 
take walk us through your thought process on you know Florida State being ranked 11th in your quarterback rankings. Uh, but let's start with Kurt here. Yeah, I mean the the luxury of this coaching staff, and I, I mean, is that they they let us be out there. I mean, obviously, we can only record through through Brandon's three periods, and we only get about 15 minutes of photo video. But we get to they have us set up on base watch all of every practice so far outside of the scrimmage last Sunday. And then tonight they're having their second scrimmage or last scrimmage. So it's a real insight into the, uh, the day to day. And I mean, obviously people have, have made a lot of the days where they've seen Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis have lighter loads out at practice where it's been a lot more for uh, Tate and Chuba. And it's, I mean, Obviously, I think if, if either of them had to be your your option going into the season, you wouldn't feel good about that. But I, I it's not anything that I think anyone's overly concerned about them long term. It's just kind of working on the workload. And so with that, I mean, I think they feel good. And they there have been real moments. I mean, the the day McKenzie came back after a few days of lighter workload, I think it was uh, was Wednesday or Thursday this week. I think it was Thursday. They uh, I mean, they had a. He had his, probably his best day. The offense looked great. I mean, he really led them against the defense that has probably won more often than it's lost. The offense kind of has its moments. You've seen the moments with McKenzie. You've seen the moments with Jordan. I think Jordan has legitimately built on himself as a passer and is a better passer than last year. And that's not often development you maybe see this far into career. So I, I think, I mean, there's reason to feel better about that group coming into the year. Yeah, I think – um, nationally, look, the, the Mackenzie Milton storyline is certainly a big one. And I, and I think if you kind of ask people, like, what do you want to see happen? There's a, a genuine, I'm rooting for Mackenzie Milton aspect. And I think everybody sort of assumes that's going to be who it is. I, I think even if it is Milton, I think you're going to find a way to get Jordan Travis on the field one way or the other. But I'm not quite so certain that it's like etched in stone. It's going to be Milton. And I know my colleague, Andrea Adelson, talked to Kenny Dillingham, I think, last week. And he was very high on Jordan Travis. And, and like, enough so that, that when I talked to her, she's like, boy, I, if, if I was walking away from that conversation making a guess, I don't know that it would be Milton. Um, which I don't know that you should read anything into that. But, but as Kurt said, look, Travis has gotten better as a passer. And the other thing of it is, is, like, what are your strengths if you're Florida State's offense right now? The offensive line actually ran block pretty well. Mm-hmm. You've got some good guys in the backfield and having a, a quarterback that can move and, and maybe Milton can still be that, but certainly we saw that Jordan Travis is that. And he really opened up some options on that offense because of his legs. And you look at the receiving core and it's not great. And maybe you just sort of build around what your strengths are for this year. And if you're doing that to me, there's some real upside to Jordan Travis being the guy. Now, Again, my heart's in it with Mackenzie Milton for all the reasons it is with everybody else. But I think anybody who's overlooking Travis as an option is is probably doing so at their own uh, at their own uh, weakness there because I I think he's got a real shot at this. Um, do you know if uh, anybody there locally on the beat know how Dillingham is doing? I know that Miami fans were worried about him being out for the year because they saw him on crutches last week. I, you know, anybody? I else? think that was Mackenzie Milton that they saw on crutches oh, last okay. week. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, I didn't know if Andrea asked him about that, David, or or not. But hopefully, he's doing doing a little bit better. Um, Rich, you got to follow up for Ingram. I just had to. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> to get a shot. <laughs> obviously, Inger, man, uh, on the Null cast, you guys have kind of made famous the win shares that, that you guys do every season. And, uh, you know, heading into the season, it looks like there are a lot of 50-50 games. But how many truly 50-50 games, whether it be, you know, 
45, 55 in that range are there because, you know, a lot of Florida State fans are talking about a Louisville team who beat us by, you know, five touchdowns last year as a toss up, which it may be. But it, it seems like we're, we're kind of veering a little too optimistic. And I don't want to put you in a bad position here, but just looking at the schedule, how many true, you know, toss ups are on there right now? Yeah, I mean, like uh, others have said previously, Wake Forest, Louisville, uh, NC State are going to be massive in determining what this uh, what this season looks like. And those are, you know, in my opinion, probably the closest that you have to uh, coin flips. So if I can circle back to the quarterback, since I was uh, omitted from that conversation, um, in my opinion, I said this last week, it's probably 55 percent likely that Travis is going to be your starting quarterback. Now, there's a dynamic there that one Norvell's coached against Milton and been incredibly blown away by what he's seen in person and the competitor and that aspect of it. And it's also, in my opinion, a lot easier to go to Travis after trying Milton than it is to go to Milton after trying Travis. And it's also, um, you know, you can build, it's easier to have Travis as a number two with some of the packages and uh, things that you can build around him where you wouldn't be able to maybe otherwise do that with Milton. So uh, there's a lot of uh, things out there, but as far as what play has been, um, play on the field, Jordan Travis has been your better quarterback so far. But, uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be the starter based off uh, off what, you know, you've seen otherwise. And Ryan, same, same to you on, on the quarterback situation, just, you know, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, and, you know, uh, if – Florida State were to strap it up tomorrow against Notre Dame. Who do you think would be the guy that uh, gets that first snap and the bulk of the snaps? You know, I really didn't get a chance to see in spring because a lot of those practices were happening when we were on the air at 5, 536. But, you know, coming into this camp, I'd have never in a million years thought Jordan Travis is going to play right with Milton, if not look better at times and you know that's what's happening you know Milton obviously responded had a good day this week and of course there's all the reports of he's a gamer you saw what happened in the spring game where Milton just kind of seemed to turn it on after reports were that he had an okay camp but you know I was convinced going into this fall that Milton would be your starter and that there would be certain packages and certain events that would spring in Jordan Travis, that would lend to him, that he would come on the field. Not necessarily a complete two-quarterback system, but certainly chances for Jordan to come in just because his talent and his legs, he's too dynamic, he's too explosive. But, uh, you know, I'm with everybody else. What I've seen out of practice, his development as a passer, he's gotten so much better. It's clear how much time and effort he's put into it to where, yeah, I'm I'm almost with Ingram at this point, where it kind of feels like it's 55% that Travis might be the guy you see against Notre Dame that Sunday night. If I can make one more thing and reiterate what David said as well. I mean, your best wide receiver is a true freshman, in my opinion. Uh, You have an awful lot of things lending itself to relying fairly heavily on the run game and and being able to use the explosiveness that Travis brings to the equation. So, um, you know, if I'm picking anybody right now, I think it'll be Travis. Uh, That could change, and there's obviously a lot of of, – things out there that I previously mentioned, but when you look at what the offense line does well and the strides that it made last year turned into a pretty decent uh, line when it comes to run blocking, still a lot of questions there, uh, particularly the health of, uh, of Love Taylor and where you can play him uh, may be a critical factor in this, but the offense as it stands and the pieces that you have, in my opinion, uh, points more towards Travis being the quarterback. Um, David, I want to come your way and then we'll kind of pass this around. Uh, you, ranked uh, position groups in the ACC pretty favorably 
um, when you look at Florida State's running backs, not so favorably when you look at their wide receivers. Let's talk about specialists for a moment. You rank Florida State uh, having the fourth best uh, running back room or rushing attack, I guess is maybe a better way to say it. Um, and then the the dead last, 14th, as far as wide receivers uh, go. Talk to us about those two position groups, and then we'll um, maybe we'll go uh, running backs, Brendan and Ingram, wide receivers, Kurt and Ryan. Um, but David, start us off. Yeah, it's I. In fairness, um, take anything that I say with a grain of salt. I actually did another <laughs> podcast with. Not that I don't love you guys. I did another podcast with Virginia Tech folks who were asking me about my receiving rankings because I had Virginia Tech number one there, and they were like, "You're an idiot. <laughs> They're not going to be number one." <laughs> so uh, I'm just getting the opposite side of that now with Florida State. Um, from the running back standpoint, look, part of it is just like the. A massive amount of growth at that position. I mean, when you think about how bad the run game was two years ago to where it is now, I mean, it's night and day. And I think part of that is is Jordan Travis opening up some running lanes because of how explosive he is with his legs. And 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 again, that's part of one of the reasons that I think you have to kind of find a way to get him on the field, even if he's not your starter, because I think he he offers something to that to what the strengths of that offense are. Um, but you've got two young running backs. You've got two guys who I think just sort of got their feet wet a little bit last year and behind a, an offensive line that is still a little bit of a work in progress, but clearly made a big step forward in terms of run blocking. So if, if I'm building out an offensive um, attack for Florida State, I mean, that, that's where the strong suit has to be. Um, the wide receiver group, look, you know, <laughs> It, it's just it's not been good for years now, and I, I think if there's lots of reasons to criticize Jimbo Fisher's recruiting, and, and that's you know O line is the thing that everybody points to, but frankly the the receiving recruiting was terrible, and a lot of guys that didn't pan out, it didn't get any better under Willie Taggart. There's just not a lot in that room right now, and I know people are high on Andrew Parchment, and you know great, I, I'm I'm somebody who says you got to if you were not on the field at Kansas, you got to uh, convince me that you're going to be good somewhere else. I have a, I, I, I default to not believing in anything that came out of Kansas. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, it's probably better than last year. It's probably better than 14th in the ACC, but it is certainly not a group I'm super believing in at this point. And, and again, when you have a, a, a potentially a quarterback who works better as a runner and an offense that is better as a running group, you know, I would be inclined to um, see some real strengths in that side and not so much on the receiving side. Um, I'll let Brendan go first. Um, running uh, backs? Yeah, you and Ingram on running backs. So you, Ingram, then we'll go Ryan and Kurt on wide receivers after you. So the way I view the running backs, and I am with David, like I do think when you when you look at the macro of FSU's run game, Jordan Travis has to be factored into that because he gave them such a needed dimension for, for what he did schematically and, and basically allowing the offensive line to get better angles. And I think that uh, on blocks, I think he was a huge reason. I don't think, I know he was a huge reason why FSU made such strides in the run game. The offensive line did show growth though, as well with just general run blocking. Robert Scott is someone who's very promising that started at right tackle last year. And, and he'll probably start at one of the tackle spots this year as well. Uh, Devontae Love Taylor comes back. Uh, you you add um, Dylan Gibbons from Notre Dame, who's who's probably going to be solid. And so everyone, you bring back everyone. Everyone's making a year better. So what that leads to the run game, you also bring back everyone almost, other than uh, Damian Webb at running back. Jay Sean Corbin is going to be the bell cow. I'm pretty confident he was kind of that guy last year for them, especially towards the end of the season. And he's not super 
explosive. Like I don't view him as a, as a special player, but he's very solid. He does everything well. Uh, one thing we've seen from him in camp is that he lowers his shoulder and he finishes runs, and he does that consistently. So he's someone last year he averaged just a shade under five yards to carry. If you can get that to five and a half yards or so, uh, that's a win for you. Then you really need, I think, someone else to kind of step up next to him, whether that's Trayshawn Ward, the former walk-on who's put on scholarship for the spring. He's looked really good. Uh, I think the big name is Lawrence Philly. He has the most upside in that group, and I think he's someone that you're going to see used in a variety of ways. That's kind of how they did use him last year. Similar how they used Tony Pollard at Memphis. I think that's kind of his upside, but he is someone who's legitimately like explosive. I think he was second nationally in yards per carry last year, given or granted it was like a different kind of role. It wasn't an every down basis, but if he's someone that you feel better about, you know, him being more consistent, being on the field more, knowing the offense at a higher level, uh, he's going to create some matchup problems. A big wild card is DJ Williams. Probably uh, he was a transfer from Auburn. It did some really nice things at Auburn as a freshman. You go back and look at the LSU game he had as a true freshman a couple of years ago. Really impressive. Hasn't really stood out to me so far, uh, both in the spring and camp. I will say though, uh, his best practice of the preseason did come the other day when we were out there where he looked really quick, uh, really quick, really powerful, and caught the ball out of the backfield well as well. So yeah, they have options at running back. I'll throw this to Ingram. I, I just There's no one who I think is, is special right now. Maybe Lawrence Philly, man, do you agree with that? But other than that, I, I don't – it's a good group, not great. Uh, I like Philly. I don't know that he's maybe quite as explosive as some in the fan base. I think he's more of a slasher. I'll be interested in see – if his straight line speed improves there at all, but still a really talented kid that they can build around. Uh, I do think Jay Sean Corbin's made a big jump here. And I think, um, yeah, I think one of the biggest influences on this running back group is, uh, is a guy by the name of Jordan Wilson. I mean, I think they're going to get, he's going to give them a dynamic at tight end that they have not had uh, as far as a run blocker and, and make the offense uh, that much more, dynamic when it comes to the running attack so uh, I do think Corbin's in a place to have I don't know a breakout year gets thrown around loosely but uh, certainly take a big step forward toe Philly's a nice piece um, Williams is is like you said kind of a wild card and something that you might see uh, in time but I think this is really going to be built around Corbin toe Philly and then uh, Jordan Travis if he's uh, if he is your starter We can go up top, um, talk a little wide receivers with Kurt and Ryan. Kurt, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think David's pretty pretty dead on, not not paying as much attention to the, the, the vast expanse of the ACC. But just looking at that group, I mean, it's a group last year where when they didn't have Tamor and Terry, and even sometimes when they did and he wasn't 100%, there was just no real playmaker when you look at that group. In fact, there were times where the offense kind of made plays and the receivers – came up with drops at critical moments or things like that. I think it was just a, a pretty uninspiring group for a lot of that season with the injuries and then Tamori, Tamori and leaving the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ingram mentioned it. Uh, a lot of the guys who've looked the best throughout this preseason have been those younger guys. And the problem with younger guys, especially at skill positions, is they're going to have the moments where they flash and they're going to have the moments where they make critical mistakes. I mean, Kentron Portier has had some real good days. Uh, Malik McLean has come in. Josh Burrell also both look like guys who who could be in contention to maybe enroll early. Obviously, a guy like Destin Hill not being able to enroll this year was a, a big loss as they're the highest-rated player in their class and a guy who was definitely a potential playmaking wide receiver for them. I think a wild card, too, that from what we've seen when you look at that group is, is Keyshawn Helton has definitely looked a good bit healthier this year. He's looked quicker. He's looked more like the guy who can be a real – 
weapon for them in the slot that he was not last year because he was still clearly not 100% yet coming off a pretty severe knee injury that he suffered against Clemson in 2019. I think the group is capable. I think there will be some moments uh, this season of playmaking, and I think there will be some moments where the wide receivers kind of disappear. And and it, it the problem is, I mean, I think when people, when opposing teams know that's the case, they're going to, I would imagine, stuff the box and make it where you kind of almost have to beat them through the air. And we'll, we'll see if the receivers can do that. I think the quarterback can throw the ball. It's if they, if they can get open and if they can make those plays. You know, uh, to follow up on Kurt, and I, uh, first I'll start with David. I think David nailed the hell on, head, no, the nail on the head. Goodness, talk for a living. Goodness. Okay. Uh, yeah, he nailed, he hit, let's start over. He hit the <laughs> nail on the head. There we go. There we go. He hit the nail on the head in that if the offensive line hadn't been a problem in Florida State for so long, how many people would have over the years just said, oh, God, we'd be so great if we just had a wide receiver in the Florida State fan base? Because really you look until you could probably go all the way back to Rashad Green and say he's the last guy who's had a great career at Florida State. I mean, Calvin Benjamin had a great 2013 at Florida State. Auden Tate had a good season for Florida State. But when is that last superstar wide receiver really emerged for the Seminoles? I mean, Tamori and Terry had a great season. And then last year, you know, it was what it was. So overall, I, I think Kurt's right. Keyshawn Helton's health is going to be extremely important to this group. Those young guys are going to flash. They are going to have some issues, though. And that's where some of these older veterans, the guys that you know aren't necessarily superstars. They're not exactly going to be highly touted NFL draft picks, but you just need the consistency out of them. You're going to need consistency out of guys like Pokey Wilson on a third down and you know medium to move the sticks. You're, you're going to need that. But the good news is, with Florida State, depending on this running game this year, like many of us think they will, maybe you're going to get more of those one-on-one matchups. Maybe you're going to get a little bit less help from the defense on the passing end, saying, listen, the receivers aren't the big deal of this offense. If Florida State's wide receivers can make routine plays against a defense that's not as worried about them and is far more concerned about what's going on in the backfield, maybe this is a unit that can be a little better than the sum of its parts. But again, that's obviously the optimistic look at it. So I want to go uh, Brendan, David, and Ingram here and, and just talk about Mike Norvell and what he's done in the transfer portal. Obviously, he's been very active. I think the one criticism was failing to bring in a, a true offensive tackle, which Florida State obviously really wanted. Um, unfortunate, but what percent of the starting 22 when that depth chart comes out, do you think will be transfers to include guys like Jordan Travis, who you know started at Louisville, even though he's been at Florida State for a few years now? Uh, Brendan, just talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of a percentage, and I'm not going to be able to throw out a good number for you right off the top. Yeah, of my ballpark head. is fine. All right. Um, I mean, at least a oh God, at least a quarter, right? Correct me if yeah, I'm wrong, guys. Sure. Like a healthy a quarter. Do you think 50? percent I think close to it. Okay. I think I think we guessed 55 percent on the okay. most recent null caps. All right. Yeah, I think that reasonable. point of reference. Okay. Uh, if you count, like you said, if you're counting Travis, if you're counting guys that aren't this year portal, uh, I I think you more than half are guys that started their career elsewhere. Yeah, even guys like last year, like say Miko Dotson is someone who wasn't fully healthy last year. I fully expect him to start or take starting caliber reps this year. They, they like him a lot at cornerback. So, I mean, going across the board, I mean, the two quarterbacks of one and two, whatever way it's going to be, McKenzie Milton, Jordan Travis, both transfer. Jay Sean Corbin, DJ Williams, both transfers. Uh, Andrew Partman, 
transfer. Jordan Wilson, tight end, transfer. Offensive line, Dylan Gibbons, Devontae Love-Taylor. Yeah, so so yes, we're looking at almost every <laughs> position group, as I've said out loud, uh, other than, than linebacker, I guess, is probably going to have a transfer starting for it, uh, which is pretty extraordinary if you think about it. I know the transfer portal is still new, and, and teams are kind of figuring out how to weigh through that a little bit. But Mike Norvell was super aggressive, especially this past cycle of not just getting – numbers of guys because he got a similar amount of numbers maybe a couple more than he did his first cycle but the amount of experience that they're getting i think it counted like more than ten thousand career college snaps that, that these guys are bringing to fsu's uh, lineup and roster jamie robinson from south carolina care thomas from south carolina jay remain johnson from georgia all three of those guys are probably going to have pretty profound roles and maybe like some of the most important players on the defense if not the most love important. it love it <laughs> you wait. You love my point, or are you talking about Fabian? Love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're loaded. Uh, Bam Moore, Jerry, and Jones at cornerback. Yeah. So so they are loaded when it comes to transfer portal. Uh, it's going to be interesting, I think, to monitor like if things don't go well early on in the season. We talk about with quarterbacks is kind of an old adage, but like that mercenary quarterback uh, grad transfer type of deal. What happens if things don't go well with some of these guys who are newcomers and transferred in for basically one year? I. I I like what I'm hearing about Kier Thomas, Jermaine Johnson from like leadership standpoint and kind of kind of being the alpha dogs of that group. But but it's going to be interesting to kind of see how everyone gels together and how cohesive TJ like that's a bourbon on a budget shout out cohesiveness. Yes. Uh, how cohesive this group is uh, with a little limited time to gel. And David, how does Florida State stack up against the rest of the league uh, in terms of the transfer portal for those of us who are all in on Florida State but don't necessarily follow the rest of the league like like someone like yourself would? Right. It's interesting because you look at a team like Clemson and they just don't do transfers. And I mean, Dabo, I think, has sort of backpedaled on that a little bit over the last, I don't know, a few months, really saying like, well, you know, if we find a guy we like, maybe we'll. But they, but they have not brought in transfers, period. And then you look at, at Miami and I mean, Manny Diaz sort of pioneered this, like, let's go get everything that we need out of the transfer portal and has had a good bit of success with it. Um, Florida State is certainly taking it to a new level, but it makes a lot of sense. And the other thing that I would point out with, with the transfers that he's gone out and gotten, and Brennan sort of alluded to this, is, is not just the experience, but sort of the culture leadership aspect of it. A lot of what last year was, the growth last year in a lot of ways for Florida State, was that they got rid of the guys who were bringing down that locker room. And what they did to restock that cabinet is to bring in some guys who I think certainly help in terms of leadership. I mean, Mackenzie Milton, it goes without saying what kind of a leader he is. Um, Jermaine Johnson, uh, you know, has certainly said all of the right things and comes from a championship caliber program and can bring some of that. I mean, even a guy like Andrew Parchment, whether or not he produces on the field, he's bringing a level of sort of confidence uh, to a receiving core that desperately needed an injection of that uh, to sort of be around some of those young guys. And as we talked about earlier, look, it's next year's recruiting class that is going to make or break Mike Norvell at Florida state, but you've got to have this bridge to get there and you don't want to just throw this year away. And part of hanging on to that recruiting class next year is making sure that this year isn't a total embarrassment. That's, that's what all of this is, is about. And so, um, you know, I agree, I think, and there's always been sort of the mindset that, that prior to the transfer portal being what it was that, you know, when you bring in transfers, it's it's hard. They can be disruptive. It takes a while to bring them into your culture. I mean, if you're Florida State, like, what culture were you bringing them into? You're hoping they can help rewrite a culture. You're not trying to, to uh, bring in guys and train them about the Florida State way. You're bringing in guys who can train the people who are already in that locker room about how to do things right. So to me, I, this makes a ton of sense. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out because the biggest thing is still – 
who's coming in next year. Ingram, any any uh, final thoughts uh, on that, the transfer portal and what Norvell's done there? No, I mean, I think they've done a good job. I think for the most part, they've gotten good kids. Uh, we'll to see if that's uh, the case in the long run. But uh, I think they've done a very impressive job. And, you you know, if you had to do it again at offensive line, you might, uh, you might be a little more aggressive and take an attack home, in my opinion. But uh, what they did, you know, the, the greatest sense of optimism that I have as far as the unit that you put on the field right now is your defensive line. And that is not purely based off the portal, but certainly the difference makers that you've gotten there uh, have been portal guys. They've done a, you know, a outrageously uh, good job of addressing that position and giving you a chance to maybe, you know, get to six or wildly optimistic seven wins this year. So uh, I think it's been great. I, 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 I think that Florida state will be involved in the portal, not to this extent, obviously, but I don't think they're going to go away from it. I mean, I, I think there are holes on this roster that you're going to have to try to plug for a couple of years and uh, it will be very interesting to see how they do it. But I, I don't think this is going to be a new thing for this program or a, or a one-time thing for this program. Let me put it that way. We would talk offensive line, but I think that's been discussed pretty well um, through the rushing and passing games. And so I want to do defensive line and linebackers much like we did wide receivers and running backs. We'll talk about David's rankings, not to just tear them to shreds uh, throughout the entire episode, but uh, not, not great defensive line, middle of the road linebackers, right? Defensive line, 13th. Linebackers eighth. David, we'll start with you, and then we'll kind of go like we did earlier. We'll we'll go Brendan and Ingram, defensive line. Ryan and Kurt. Let's talk some linebackers. Um, David, let's start with you. Thoughts on first of all, thoughts on Jermaine Johnson as a transfer in, um, and then Florida State's defensive line in general, and then linebackers is is eight a uh, a product of the rest of the ACC because FSU fans yeah. have been down on linebackers since. 15, you know, for a while. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. uh, talk to us about your thoughts on those two position groups. Yeah. Good, good point with the um, linebackers is, is some of these rankings. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know that uh, it necessarily is, is speaking to Florida state's ability or just the lack of with around the, the rest of the league, which <laughs> it's, it's a thin position. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think part of it too, with the linebackers, I kind of look at it and I say, well, there's some, there's some guys who you would hope, We'll take a big step forward there. It's not linebacker is almost the, the weird position at Florida State where like I think there's a lot of places where they're hoping to maximize uh, less talented players. Whereas right now, that's probably the unit that has underperformed its talent the most. I mean, they're actually fairly talented at linebacker. The guys just have not played up to that level. So uh, I guess I was maybe taking a little bit of an optimistic view there that, that we're going to see a step forward. I probably underappreciated the the transfer portal in terms of, of analyzing the, the D line. Um, because as I did a lot of this research on this, you know, over the last, I don't know, a couple of months or whatever, it was a, a lot of thought process was going into like, well, where, where are they starting from? What's the starting point? And that defensive line last year was as embarrassing a performance as you're going to see anywhere in the ACC for a long time. That was brutal. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's hard to say exactly when you bring in, uh, transfers when you kind of erase the blackboard and start from scratch again there's nowhere to go but up for that unit but it's hard to sort of guess exactly what it's going to be because d-line isn't exactly like the o-line where you want to have guys some chemistry and guys got to play together and they play off of each other but there's more of that on the d-line than there probably is at any other position besides o-line and so you, you have to wonder how the group gels uh you have to kind of wonder about 
Um, I mean, clearly one of the problems last year was that was probably the group that seemed to stop caring the fastest and the most. And you kind of have to wonder about motivation. It is particularly if you don't have a lot of depth there um, and you, you don't have guys that are sort of high motor, high intensity guys that starts to show up late in games and late in the season. Um, and so those are sort of the, the, I guess, the red flags that I would say. But, um, you know, Johnson's a good example of a guy that, that certainly looks like the, he looks the part. He says the right things. and He's coming from a good program um, that could inject some real life into into a unit that that is in desperate need of it. And again, you know, this is it's not the ideal motivator or optimistic way of looking at things if you're a Florida State fan. But the upside is it can't be worse than it was last year. <laughs> uh, Ingram, take us away on uh Defensive line. Uh, defensive line. Like I said uh, in my past comments, really optimistic about this group, excited with what they can do. Uh, I think coaches are real excited potentially about what you can do with some odd man fronts. Uh, if you can get people into third and predictable, uh, you know, putting a, if you want to go with a traditional four man front, putting a Cushney, uh, Johnson, Briggs, uh, love it. Four man group out there is something that I think would be a very impressive group. So, uh, I think Briggs is uh, is somebody that's going to continue to really grow and uh, perform well as a player. A guy that you know, it's hard to. Last year's kind of like a blur. Last year's hard to have any kind of concept of in general. But that's a guy that what came back for the Clemson game or came back for the Clemson weekend and uh, later, you know, later got on the field. But I, I think they've got a real talent there. Briggs, Robert Cooper uh, continues to be a really solid piece. And uh, I think the defensive ends are, you know, will will be a strong point for them. And I think, um, you know, I think you can move uh, the South Carolina kid around. I think he plays at the Fox position. I think he can slide inside. Uh, Keir Thomas is a great addition to that uh, unit. So I'm, I'm pretty high. Obviously, everything, every unit we talk about is uh, predicated on people staying healthy. But if this group stays healthy, I think it may be Florida State's best unit. Right, can I just add that uh, Dabo Sweeney, like somewhere, is like yelling at the gods when when Ingram talks about the Clemson game last year. That's I, I, somewhere somewhere it was the best game last year, David. Like it was the best game. <laughs> High point of the year, in my opinion. <laughs> hey, you got, you got in Clemson's head. That's the game. I uh, I was in Savannah that day and. The joy on my wife's face when I told her the game got canceled and we didn't have to sit in a bar for three hours and just got to go enjoy the city of Savannah. Like she was probably happier than any other FSU fan that that exists. But yeah, it was, like Ingram said, it was a good day. TJ, no <laughs> one was more happy about that than I was. So I will uh, tell your wife to take a second place to me. Uh, by far the best day of the year. She, so. she normally does. So I actually have a question, David. I, Woody Whitehurst. I was talking to him on Twitter the other day. How would the ACC handle that this year? Um, that's a great question. Here's the thing. I am not convinced that any of these forfeit rules are going to stay in place as they are. I think right now, this is all about motivating teams to get to that 85% plus threshold on vaccinations. I mean, if you've got guys who are out because of breakthrough cases, how do you punish the team for that? I mean, if they're at the 85% level, and you have a breakthrough case and they test late in the week, like, I, I don't know how you force a forfeit on that. Um, you know, to me, I think now, look, I've, I, this has been a conversation I've had with a lot of ADs and I'm not sure. I think everybody's on board with where things are right now, but we're going to get to a point And I don't know whether, you know, 
knock on wood, I hope it doesn't happen in the ACC, but it's going to happen somewhere where you get a few breakthrough cases that are going to impact a game and it's not going to be through the fault of vaccination. It's just going to be because we're living in a real weird time right now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how leagues want to follow this because, I mean, look, there wasn't even really an actual rule in place with the College World Series. And look how quickly that turned on on NC State. I don't think anybody wants to be in that situation again where we're deciding uh, the outcome of a, a, a game or, God forbid, a season because of something like that. And on that note, I, I want to kick this to Ingram real quick because you guys talked about on the last Nolcast, you and Bud, about Florida State. They sound very concerned with their team vaccination rate. Sounds like the walk-ons are close to 100%, if not 100 Uh, But it, it could be, as the rules stand right now, a very real issue that Florida State could forfeit a game at some point because they do not have a good vaccination rate. Um, Just it, what are you hearing on that? It could be. I've, I've heard nothing but good things over the past week on that. I think they're closer to the 85 than uh, – you know, some of that information is lagging. I'll be honest with you. I don't have real-time ideas to Florida State's numbers, but uh, I do think that that has improved significantly. There's a lot more optimism internally uh, that they're going to hit that number. There was a decent amount of players that got the first shot and then never got the second. Uh, so I, I do think that, uh, you know, they've certainly made it a priority. They've brought in Myron Roll. They had a pretty stern talk with the athletic director a week ago. I think the mayor of Tallahassee's talked to the team about the importance of getting vaccinated. So, um, you know, this is something that's been a, a focus of the coaching staff for about two months um, at the ACC media days. When I talked to people at the conference, I wasn't at media days, but I talked to people the week after it did not. I, I wasn't real optimistic that Florida State was going to get there uh, sitting here in the final week or approaching the final week of August. Uh, I think it's probably 75, 25 that Florida State hits the 85 mark at this point. So a lot more optimistic than the conversation we had just, you know, five or six days ago. TJ, you want me to TJ just texted me, wants me to transition from COVID talk to defensive tackles. Thanks. That's going to be a smooth one for me. I really <laughs> appreciate that. If we could just keep talking about COVID, that'd be great. That's my favorite subject matter. Well, we got uh, Mr. Breakthrough Case right here, Brendan. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, it's been I fun. figured that I figured that uh in that long title you gave yourself there on your name, like yeah. smooth transition or would have been on there or something like that. So Ran out of 50 Terrible. characters. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, defensive tackle. I guess we'll we'll wrap up defense a lot. <laughs> smooth, Speaking of underwhelming returns. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the only thing I'll add to what Ingram said, I think he nailed it, so I don't think there's a whole lot to add to it. But but I want to emphasize Keir Thomas one more time because he has been, to me, maybe one of the most, if not the most pleasant surprise of, of preseason camp. I had him like a, the 10 to 15 range in our annual countdown of most important players. In hindsight, like top five borderline is reasonable for two reasons. One, the versatility that the Ingram alluded to, like he's going to be kind of the linchpin in allowing FSU to do different fronts and move him around and, and get other guys on the field in, in advantageous situations. If he's playing well, that opens up a ton of things for them. And right now in camp, and granted it's against FSU's offensive line, which, you know, pass pro is still an issue. They're still working on getting everyone at 100% at some positions. So, so take it with a grain of salt, but when he's practiced, he has been pretty dominant. He may be the most consistent defender they've had uh, when he's when he's on the practice field. So uh, he might be a really important piece for FSU. And then we mentioned Jermaine Johnson, uh, three defensive tackles, and Fabian Lovett, Robert Cooper, and Dennis Briggs. I think all have flashed and done things well at times and, and all bring three different, very diverse skill sets to the table as well. The, the big question mark is the depth behind them. 
who's that fourth or fifth defensive tackle, Malcolm Ray, Josh Farmer, uh, Jarrett Jackson are, are the options, but none of those guys are really proven up to this point. So that's some bit of a wild card if someone gets hurt at defensive tackle. And then defensive end too, uh, trying to see, is it Marcus Cushney, is it Quayshon Fuller, Derek McClendon, uh, someone else who, who jumps into the picture there to be a rotational piece at defensive end as well. So I think the starting four and even like the maybe the your top uh, five or six defensive linemen are going to be pretty damn good after that uh, TBD at this point. We'll see. I really back just to, thought back to COVID. I, I really just thought that you would like give your thoughts on COVID and then just say, but I know you were asking me about DT. I know that would have been just too tough for you to um, to transition both of those. So uh, Kurt and Ryan, let's talk some linebackers. We'll talk secondary and Richie's got a recruiting question. We'll get out of here. We appreciate you guys hanging out. We're almost to an hour, so we want to try and wrap it up. But talk to us about linebackers, guys. Ryan, start us off, then Kurt, then we'll kind of get out of here in a few minutes. Well, I think uh, David stole the word. It's It's been underwhelming for a very, very long time. This is a unit that you're going to need production out of because it finally feels like the depth is young, but you're starting to get the numbers there. But listen, you're going to need – Amari Gaynor to play like the guy you've wanted him to play like for a while. How, how much are you going to get out of Emmett Rice coming back from that injury? I mean, there's so many names that you've now heard of younger guys, the Kalen Deloaches and Stephen Dix Juniors of the world. How do they step up and fit into this equation? If Florida State can finally get over that hump, I mean, linebacker almost feels like it's been the mirror image of wide receiver for quite some time. It's just been underwhelming, underwhelming. This isn't the guy. They don't fit in. It, if you can get over this hump, yeah, this is a defense that's going to look a lot, lot better, uh, especially if that front, if the front part of that front seven continues to play well. So, yeah, it's a question mark. There's no doubt about it. But if Florida State can finally play up to its potential, finally play up to what you've got, and if some of those young guys can be consistent for you, uh, I'd imagine there's a guy named Adam Fuller who's going to be uh, – maybe not as cool of a seat as maybe some fans would maybe want the light under him, but I'd imagine he'd be smiling a little happier than this year than he was at the end of 19 or 20. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Kurt thoughts for you. Yeah. I mean, it, it was naturally kind of like a, you look at that group and it was like, of course with uh, Emmett Rice suffering the the injury in the spring where he was going to be, I mean, he was that sixth year player. He was, was gonna, have be that guy for them and, and was that guy for the start of spring and was that guy at the end of last season and then went down and I know they're they're expecting him back at some point he, he's working his way back but Notre Dame I would say still remains a question so it is going to be a lot of youth at that position it's guys that haven't entirely proven themselves like like Ryan said a guy that uh, DJ Lundy is a guy who you hear the coaching staff kind of talk about day in and day out and I think rightfully so I think he's a real stabilizing force for a second-year player there in the middle of the defense. I mean, obviously, Amari Gaynor's always been a playmaker. I know he's kind of mixed in some inside with some outside linebacker this offseason, kind of increased that versatility. It'd be interesting to see how he handles that. Uh, Steven Dix a lot last year and definitely had his growing pains and has has had some moments of a little of both again this preseason. It'll be interesting to see if he's kind of able to take the next step. That would be huge for them. He he looks the part, but he was one of the guys who was somewhat culpable last year with uh, the the pretty significant run defense problems they they had at times. And uh, I mean, Kalen Deloach is a uh, he's an interesting case in that I think they they kind of thought he might be ready last year, and he he wasn't quite ready for the role they wanted him to have. But you've heard it again this preseason. I think it's it's possible he is kind of more ready for that role this year and would be a major asset for them there. Um. 
David, I want to start with you as we have um, often quarterback play in the ACC is, is pretty good. I remember seeing you saying on Twitter that Florida State being kind of low in your quarterback rankings isn't necessarily because you're down on us, but just because play in this league is so um, good. That doesn't bode well for Florida State having the second worst um, secondary in your uh, in your rankings there at 13th. Took, took some transfers. Um, obviously, if you can strike gold on a couple of things, then things can kind of turn around there. But um, Florida State's defense wasn't good overall last year. In fact, they were the worst, you know, and so – it's not surprising that some of these rankings are a little bit lower, but talk to us a little bit about Florida State's secondary. We'll get quick thoughts from everybody, and then um, Richie's got a couple of questions. We'll get out of here, but talk to us about secondary, David. Yeah, I mean, when essentially when when Asante Samuel wasn't on the field last year, that was a complete disaster of a secondary, and I think that's, again, that's the starting point you're starting from. And as you noted, this is, I think, going to be a pretty good year for QBs in the league. Um, and particularly among among the ones that Florida State's going to face. I mean, they're going to get Sam Howell. They're going to get Derek King. They're going to get DJ Uyunglele. They're going to get Devin Leary. They're going to get – I mean, the, the the top half of the of the QB rankings, Florida State pretty much plays them all. So <clears throat> not an ideal scenario. Um, you know, again, it's a little bit like the D-line. Like, it was bad last year. Bring in some new bodies. There's probably not anywhere to go but up. But there's a question of how those those new people kind of fit in with, with the greater – excuse me, with the greater role uh, and how they all sort of play off of each other. So, I, you know, I don't know as a guy like Jarvis Brownlee, is that is, is he a guy who can sort of make a big leap? Um, is there, you know, with Jerry and Jones, is the, you bring in a transfer, is he somebody who's going to really change the game for them? There's optimism and there's reason for optimism. But I think he's kind of seen as we go through all of these different positions, we're saying a lot of ifs here. And the fact of the matter is like, there's a decent chance that, that the if works out for a couple of spots, but it's probably not going to happen in every spot. And so one of these is going to not turn out into a great spot. I, I don't know. I tend to be kind of, if I was betting on either the, the, the D line or the, or the uh, back, the secondary coming in um, my, my money would certainly be on the D line and I didn't have them ranked very highly either. So kind of goes to show I, I, I'm being the Brendan Sinone of this whole situation and being just, being a pessimist about everything. Sorry. Just, just don't videotape it and it's going to be okay with it. <laughs> You're much less awkward than him anyway. Ingram, talk to us about the secondary. Yeah, so a uh, little bit of optimism here. I mean, you've certainly recruited well, so there's pieces there to work with. Uh, Travis Jay's had nothing but uh, really, it, you know, I hate this cliche, but it looks like the light turn has turned on there. It looks like he's ready to be the kid that a lot of people thought he would be out of uh, Madison County. Uh, you know, the, the dent find an immediate success after moving to safety. We'll have to see. That's a, that's a wait and see game. I'm, I'm pretty confident that Trey, uh, excuse me, that Travis J is going to transfer over and is going to be an impact player. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with dent. We'll have to see if Tate starts to emerge, but uh, I think you've got some nice pieces here with, uh, with Jones and Dotson and, it's going to be a decent unit, uh, it, and it'll really be determined. This is one of the few units that, and I know I just mentioned two transfer kids, this is one of the few units that I think the play is determined by the kids you actually recruited to come to Florida State and what they turn out and what they look like. But uh, I do think that Travis J is uh, is a name that most of the conference doesn't know right now and will be pretty fairly well-versed on by the end of the season if he stays healthy. Um, Brendan, quick thoughts on the secondary. Um, we're going to kind of go around the horn on this, so yeah. just let you go next. Sure. You don't want me to talk about COVID at all? Uh, I, Ryan Kelly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So guys, 
No, put me back on the screen. This is my time to shine. Uh, I've been burned by the defensive backs before. Uh, I think in 2016, I was talking about like the lineup of death and, and the potential options they had, and that didn't work out so well for the back end of the secondary. Uh, I'm going to buy in on them right now, though. They've looked really good in the preseason. Like They've been pretty consistent through camp. Uh, Travis J, as Ingram alluded to, like he's looked great and – and I think the position change for him is going to pay you know pretty quick dividends there for FSU. I feel good about him. And the other cornerback spot, like whether it's Jerry and Jones, Jarvis Brownlee, Miko Dotson, uh, I think all those guys are going to be solid, especially especially Brownlee and Dotson. I think there's a baseline for what you can expect for them. I don't know if any of them are going to be great, but I don't think they're going to be you know what Akeem Dent was as a cornerback last year, which was like allowing a pass rating of, of uh, something that felt like 120. Or it, was, it was a pretty high pass rating he allowed in coverage last year. I don't think you're going to have that that – uh, worst case scenario kind of present itself. The depth is markedly better. They add three guys in the transfer portal. They add three true freshmen to the class as well. Actually, four true freshmen, three cornerbacks, one safety. Uh, a guy like Kevin Knowles is going to play this season. Absolutely, he's been rock solid since he arrived in the spring. So, you know, even if they they aren't a great unit, I, I just think the the floor has has been elevated in that position group, and there's now versatility. There's depth. Uh, you're not going to see a game where you're only playing three cornerbacks in an entire contest while running nickel package. You're not going to see that again this year. Very unlikely. Um, so I'm higher on the the secondary exiting this part of camp than I was going into it for sure. Um, Kurt, David said that if he had to bet on the defensive line or the secondary um, coming through, which one are you placing your bet on? If only one can. Putting me on the spot. I mean, I they're know, kind of connected, aren't they? If the pass rush is better, the secondary is going to be better in a way that I think the, the secondary. That's a cop out. Pick one. Damn <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say the secondary. I, I think both are going to be great, but I think the depth there is better. I mean, I think Mike Norvell talked about last year how. They had 11 DBs, I think, played 100-plus snaps last year. Now that's a pretty unsustainable number. And, I mean, obviously the the, the funny thing is I don't think they want to rely nearly that much on that many, but they have better depth this year to, to do so. I mean, Kevin Knowles, like Brandon mentioned, has been really impressive. We've talked about the future so much. It sure looks early on like they've got two cornerbacks they've really hit on in Kevin Knowles and, and Hunter Washington out there. Obviously, I don't think they're going to have huge roles this year, but – in some capacity, maybe, but yeah, I mean, Miko Dotson having led the the, the led FBS in interceptions two years ago has has looked good when he's been out there. I mean, as he's obviously coming off of the, the injury last year, which basically kept him out of the entire year. Uh, Jarvis Brownlee, I think you saw down the stretch of last season, stepped into a real big role, and I think it's going to build on that. Having a guy like having a guy like Jerry and having, I mean, the the, the transfers. I mean, it's Jamie Robinson is an interesting guy when where I know they want to play him at nickel. I know he's going to play some safeties and do a little everything. And he's kind of the the playmaker type. There are just a lot of guys. I mean, the fact that we've all kind of mentioned different guys who we've built up speaks to, I think, feeling good about that unit. Now, naturally, we're probably all going to get burned again because that's just how this seems to go lately. But um, Ryan Kelly, hopefully you understood that you were going to have to break this tie here. So I'll ask you the same question, and then Richie's got a couple we'll get out of here. Uh, you know, I I think I'd go with the secondary too. I, I think simply because, like you said, there are so many options, even though they don't want to play as many options, to Kurt's point, 
But you've also got a guy just ready to break out in Travis J. And that was the one thing that everybody talking about the secondary. I'll keep heaping the praise. As a guy who covers high school football in this area and got a chance to see him in Madison in his senior year, not just play football, but just also basketball, just what a natural athlete he is, what a star he is, just how much raw potential. And you knew when the game slowed down for him, when you knew when the light bulb turned on to Brendan's point, I believe it was Brendan who said it earlier, that he was just going to be a guy who's going to be a star. And I, I think he's so up for a breakout season. He's got all the intangibles you'd want. He's got all the athleticism you'd want. If you can truly get him to be the star and get consistent play out of everybody else, yeah, you're going to have a really, really good secondary. And that's not to go anything against the defensive line because I do think Jermaine Johnson's going to be a great impact player for them up front. But the secondary just seems like it's going to be maybe a little bit more reliable for Florida State as the season rolls on. Yeah, maybe we, maybe, they, maybe they've convinced me. Maybe I, I'm, I'm going to change my vote now. <laughs> no, no flip flopping here. <laughs> yeah, we we appreciate all of you guys. Um, one final question: We'll get you out of here, but you'd be hard pressed to find a Florida State fan who listens to this podcast or, or any other Florida State podcast, Nolcast on the bench, whatever it may be, who does not know who Travis Hunter is at this point. Um, so I, I want to kick this to Ingram because he was actually there last night to see Travis Hunter catch 13 passes for 230 yards, a couple touchdowns. He threw a passing touchdown. He had an interception. Um, Ingram, what was he as good as advertised? And then just quick around the horn, uh, real fast thoughts on Travis Hunter. We don't get into recruiting a whole lot on this podcast, but I feel like this guy, you have a unanimous number one player in the country. You, you, you kind of have to go there. Yeah, so obviously his stat line will let you know that he was pretty impressive. I'll be honest with you, it's almost hard to judge him. I mean, on defense, he looks at times bored. People don't really throw at him. Uh, he almost had to pick one of the first plays of the game. The quarterback uh, just kind of made a rush decision, was trying to throw the ball away. Um, the only thing that I didn't see last night was I was that I was disappointed, not from him, but I didn't get to see the skill set, is I wish I would have gotten to see him just throw it into fifth or sixth gear and really get an opinion or idea as to what his top end speed looks like. Cause Lord knows his, his change of direction is absurd. He may be the best prospect I've ever seen at high pointing a ball. And that's not just from watching him last night. That's, you know, what I saw on video all summer and then confirmed uh, last night. So really special athlete. I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I I would lean more towards playing him at wide receiver just because you're going to have a bigger impact with him there. But, uh, you know, a lot of their recruiting has been based around developing him as a defensive back and, you know, getting him ready to be a top four overall pick as a DB in three years or so. So uh, that will be very interesting to see. But the guy played an awful lot of snaps. I'm sure that, uh, you know, high school to college doesn't quite translate like that, like that but he'll be – There'll be many packages involved with him on the offensive side of the ball if he is primarily a defensive back. But I was uh, I was really impressed. And, uh, you know, it's it's the number one player in the country who played like the number one player in the country. I mean, he was clearly the best player on the field and wasn't necessarily blown away by his quarterback. Honestly, his stat line could have been he could have had four touchdowns at halftime. Uh, I actually left at halftime. The game was supposed to start at 845. It kicked off at 1015. Um, like morally i think i feel uncomfortable watching high schoolers after midnight uh in general so i decided to take it home but i i had seen all that i needed to see from travis jay so, so i want to switch the question up for the rest of you guys we'll, we'll go brendan you know david ryan kurt around the horn here real quick but where do you think he should play at florida state because uh, you know 10 15 years ago no doubt you put him on defense back right but i'm kind of with ingram here i want him a wide receiver Oof. 
Yeah, I would. Uh, I think you have to play him on both, like both sides yeah. of the field. I don't think there's a way you you can keep him on one or the other. The, obviously, the easiest way to probably do that is to have him at defensive back. You know, ninety percent of his snaps allocated there, maybe ten percent at wide receiver. But yeah, then you are taking away this this five star wide receiver essentially and not playing him on offense. And as we've recapped here today, like the promising young guys at secondary and even some of the veterans, like that group seems a little bit further ahead than than the group that David Hill has is the worst in the ACC, the wide receivers. So I I don't like the idea of not playing him there a ton. Uh, and you're going to play him there some. And I, if someone wanted to say you play him at wide receiver almost exclusively, like I'm not going to hate on that. But, but I do think you're recruiting him as a defensive back. You've developed a relationship with him and Marcus Woodson as a defensive back. You're promising him that's where he's going to play. The easiest way to make an impact is to play mostly there and then some wide receiver. I, I think you have to play him where, where you say you're going to play him and, and where you're promising to get him to be a top 10 draft pick. Yeah, I, I think you you play him wherever the hell he wants to play. Like if that's, if that's what he wants to do, that's what you do. Um, look, I, I, look, his skill set obviously translates a lot of places, and I think maybe not initially, but by his sophomore year, maybe you are looking to use him in a bigger role on both sides of the ball. I, I mean, there's some precedent for that. Um, but look, the, the thing of it is, is like you've got a, a kid who's potentially special. Um, I think there's probably more money for him to be made as a corner at the NFL level. Um, so that's probably what my advice would be. But um, the biggest thing, you know, you look at, at at the programs that have really sort of sprung up in the ACC, whether it was it was Clemson getting their guy into Sean Watson who turned that program around and, and turned it from like where it was sort of eh, to being special and a recruiting destination – Mac Brown coming in and getting Sam Howell and then getting Tony Grimes and, and some of those guys that that became like the marquee salesman on the recruiting on the recruiting path as much as anything and made turned that into a destination. Like that's what he has the potential to be for Florida State is like not just one recruit, but a guy who all of the other recruits are paying attention to. So yeah, at the end of the day, whatever he wants, that's what you let him do. Yeah, David kind of stole my answer. You just put him wherever he wants to be. At the end of the day, uh, he does. He will more than likely be a defensive back more often than not, to Brennan's point. But how can you deny him on that receiving core that really needs a star, star, star? And that's absolutely what he is. Here's a guy who is clowning the highest levels of Georgia high school football, which is about as good as it gets in the country. And to Ingram's point, listen, it's obviously not going to be a straight one-to-one adjustment. He's going to pop into college and be every bit exactly what he was, but it's clear he's going to be good from the time he steps on campus. And yeah, if you can get him to help you offensively, you absolutely have to take that if you're Mike Norvell and Kenny Kenny Dillingham. And the rest just falls into place if he continues to stay as good as he is on defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what, especially to say that it hasn't been said. I do think it's primarily a DB because I, he's the he's the type of kid who you, you either in the recruiting process or once he gets here, you don't want to piss off. You you let him do what he wants to do because it seems like he's like David said the potential uh, like program changing type of player. I mean, he's special even now in what he's doing, not just being the impact recruit that he's gonna be and being as locked in as he is but how much he's pushing other people. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't re- cover recruiting a ton, but I feel like I don't know if you often see those guys being the kind of the front of the class, like vocal leaders who are just trying to get the best players to come play with them. So, I mean, I think his impact, in, not just in once he gets here, but in, in what this class is going to look like at the end is 
spectacular. And so, yeah, I think it's TV, and I do think you mix in some little bit of everything else. If I could just make a quick prediction, I think what it'll look like is what Jim Donnan did with Champ Bailey 10 or 15 or uh, 20 years ago. I mean, I think uh, you'll see probably eight to 10 more touches than Bailey got at uh, at Georgia. So that's that's how I think he's going to be featured. I think he's going to be a DB first and a guy that's used on all sorts of screens and other things on the offensive side of the ball. TJ, we cannot hear a word you are saying right now. How embarrassing for you, TJ. <laughs> Thought it was just me. Good. <laughs> that was like twice the show. Uh, we'll just wrap up before Brendan like has another weird infatuation with whatever's going on over Kurt's right shoulder. But uh, no one guys, knows what you're talking about. No one knows <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> no, it's his left shoulder. What's happening over your left shoulder? My le- this shoulder? Yes. Yeah. It looks like cardboard. The, it, oh, my gosh. Like- guys, thank yeah. you so much for hanging out. Um, thank you guys for all coming on here. Thanks for getting back to me. Um, some people didn't, but their coverage and network sucks. So screw them. Um, um, I would say they don't, they don't even rival what most of you guys do. So, um, <laughs> thank you guys for answering my texts and my calls and everything else. I only had to pay Sinone to be here. So, um, uh, David Ingram, are you guys going to be in Tallahassee Labor Day? I know the rest of you will, but David Ingram. Absolutely. No, I, I, uh, my, my Labor Day weekend will be, I'm maxing out at Carolina Tech and uh, and Georgia Clemson, and then I'm I'm calling it a day after that. I need to sleep for a couple of days. Can't persuade you of free fried chicken. Like oh man, it would actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about coleslaw? Ninety percent, ninety percent of my decision making is based off of where I can get free food. So actually, this this, this would add up. You got to move oh. straight past the gut box for this one. I'm go straight to the tailgate box. It's, yeah. That's that, that's got to be used to persuade. Um, gentlemen, thank you again so much for hanging out. I think people will enjoy this. Um, I had a good time. I hope the rest of you, at least this was palatable for you. Um, we usually pick a song as we get out and go. Um, and I'll let David pick it because we picked on his ranking. So you could pick one song, any genre, any length, any explicit. I feel like I should play us out. I feel like I should have really, uh, had more time to prepare for this. Um, no, that's this is a little like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm seeding this to, to Brendan. I want to hear what Brendan has to say. Oh, Early times and cheer one by the shower beers. Let's go. <laughs> he does the yes. same. Song. Yeah, shower beers. <laughs> I'm down with it. I agree. We're not doing shower beers. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, for the viewers at home, Kurt put in the chat, swag, sir. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Um, all right, we'll play that. We'll play that All for right. Brendan. Oh, I should have done this too. Kurt Waller of the Tallahassee Democrat Online, Ryan Kelly, WCTV, Ingram Smith and Old Cast, David Hale, ESPN, and Brendan Sinone of Too Many Places to List, uh, most notably of Knowles 247. I should have let you guys I'm shout out. Bourbon on a budget. Bourbon on a budget. Thank most, you. Most importantly, Bourbon on a budget. I should have let you guys shout that out, but I'd already gotten the song. So thank you guys. We'll see if we can get another one of these together for later in the season. We'll see if not. We'll see how bad the team is. And if it's terrible, we probably won't. But um, <laughs> even That's if the, 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 the two if the team's good, we if the team's like three and three at some point, we'll do it. Um, thank you guys for hanging out. We'll see you guys again until they go north. <laughs>